I love those NFL bad lip-syncing, lip-reading moments. Those are hilarious uh, because they, they do such a good job that you can almost think that is really what they're saying. Uh, you, you're almost convinced uh, that what they're saying is actually something that they're not saying. And a lot of times that can happen in life, too. We, we can think that what people are saying about us is actually not what they're saying about us. We, we can think that what people uh, are, are saying is actually not what they're saying. And the same thing can happen uh, in our relationship with God, too. This morning, uh, we're talking about the view from the press box. The, the view from the press box. And, and uh, if you're familiar with football or, or football uh, terminology, the press box is the, uh, the big area that sits up above the stands that allows you, when you're in the press box, you can see the entire field. You can, you can see the entire uh, football field. You can see all the game in one place. And the press box uh, gives you a a different view than if you're a coach on the sideline. The press box gives you a different view than if you're a player on the field. The press box gives you a different view than if you're a fan in the stands or a referee calling the game. The press box lets you see the entirety of of the, of the game, the entirety of what's going on in the competition. And, and at times in life, so, so many times we think that, that, that maybe if God took a press box view of our life and he looked down at the entirety of our life, he probably wouldn't say things that were really good about us. Like if God were to look at the entirety of our, our life, maybe we think that, man, we've really let God down. We've really disappointed God. There's, there's no way that God could think or say good things about who I am. What, what is God saying when he looks down from the press box on our lives? Well, if you have a Bible this morning, open it to Psalm 139. That's where we're going to be starting this morning. If you don't have a Bible, no need to panic, no need to freak out. All of the words are on the screens behind me, and you can follow along there. If you're new to church or new to the Bible, the Bible is divided up into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is a record of the history and movement of God before the coming of His Son, Jesus, into the world, and everything in the Old Testament points forward that one day God will send a rescuer to rescue people from their sins. And that's the story of the New Testament. It's the story of of the rescuer, of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, of his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. That means he came back to life and the beginnings of his early church. And so uh, this morning we're going to start out on Psalm, which is in the Old Testament. We'll also uh, be in the New Testament as well. And if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have your very own copy of God's Word, it would be our honor to give you one this morning. So on your way out, uh, you can stop by the Connection Center. And uh, we've got Bibles there on the Connection Center in the table in the back of the room, and you can just grab a copy of God's Word as our free gift to you this morning on your way out. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 139. It says this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Let's hit the pause button right there. The psalmist says, listen, God, you know every thought I have before I think it. You know me inside and out. You see every aspect of the game of my life. You see the big picture. You know the words before I even say them. You know what's on the, on the tip of my tongue. And if God were to say that about us... Most of us would go, uh-oh, 
right? Like, let's just be honest. I would. If, 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 if I'm reading this and I'm, I'm saying, okay, this is how God sees me. This is how God views my life. He knows every thought I have. He knows the words that are on my mouth before, the, before they even come off my tongue. He knows every mistake and issue and struggle and problem in my life. Most of us would go, oh, this is not going to be good. How God is going to respond to me is not going to be good because he knows everything that's going on in my life. But here's what, what, what the psalmist says. Here's what the Bible says, that, that how God responds to us. It says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the sea. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. Here's what the psalmist means by that. How, how precious to me are the ways that you think about me. Or the ways that you speak about me. The, the, the things you think about me, God, how precious are they to me? Catch this. Listen to what he says. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, these good loving thoughts that God has about you and me, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. You see, so many times in, in life, for various reasons, we allow ourselves to think that God, what God thinks about us or what God would say about us would be very negative, that God would be disappointed in us, that, that we've let God down, that God would be disgusted in us, that, that the things are happening in our life, that all these, these struggles that we face in life actually prove that God must be down on us and disappointed in us. But the Bible says that that's not the case at all. The Bible says that you and I are God's prized creation, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that, that the good, loving thoughts that God has toward us as his children, that there are so many of them that it outnumbers the grains of sand on the earth. And, and here's the thing this morning. It's only when we really understand how God feels about us. It's only when we really understand that that we can become who God has created us to be. In fact, that's our, our big idea this morning. Only when I see me as God sees me, will I be what I was meant to be. Only when I see myself as God sees me, will I be who I was meant to be. And typically, there are a couple obstacles that keep us from seeing ourselves in the same light that God sees us. There, there are a couple obstacles that keep us from understanding who God has created us to be. The first one is this. It's, it's my problems. My problems can become an obstacle that hinders me from seeing myself as God sees me. Here's what the Bible says, though, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Give all your worries and cares to God... For he cares about you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. You see, every single one of us face problems in life. We, we all face problems. In fact, one of the things that makes us all similar in this place this morning is when we walked in these doors, we walked in these doors with some kind of problem. If we're honest, we're all facing some kind of problem. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship problem. In your marriage or with a coworker or in a friendship. Maybe it's a financial 
problem that you're facing or a health issue, a health problem that you're facing. Maybe you're facing a problem with, with an addiction or a bad behavior that you just can't seem to break. Or maybe your problem is that you had some goals and some dreams in life. And when you look at your life, you think, man, I, I thought I would have been so farther down the road by now. And that's the problem that's plaguing you. Maybe, maybe your problem is that you feel like God's called you to do something in your life. God's given you a dream or a vision for your life. And when you share it with people, they just don't see it. And instead of building you up, you have people in your life who are tearing you down. Maybe that's your problem this morning. The truth is we all have problems. And here's what God's Word says about our problems. It says that He cares about them. That God cares about our problems. God's Word says give, give all of our problems, all of our cares, all of our worries, all of our struggles to God because He cares about them. When God looks down from the press box on my life and your life, He sees His child, His prized creation, who is fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, we buy into the lie that if we have problems, it must mean that God's upset with us. If we have struggles in life, it must mean that we've disappointed God and our struggles and our problems are actually what is our punishment So, because we've disappointed God. But the truth is, the Bible says that God cares about even our problems. And so we don't have to go, okay, I've got to fix all these problems and then I can come to God and then maybe God can use me. Or I've got to fix all these problems and then I can come to God and then maybe God will love me. No, the Bible says bring your problem-filled life to God because He cares about the problems too. He cares about the struggles too. He cares about the hardships too. And God says, don't let your problems push you away from me. Let your problems draw you to me. Come close to me because I care about the problems too. Today's our fifth birthday as a church. We, we launched Timber Ridge five years ago to the day, uh, today publicly. And, and uh, we've seen God do some incredible things uh, through the life of our church. But I wanted to show you some of the places of Timber Ridge this morning. This is where we started. This was our house over on Inglewood Drive here in Stephenville. Uh, we started meeting there with a small group uh, of people. And we moved from the, the house uh, to Erath County uh, Excels uh, Charter School, Houston Academy. And uh, we were there for a few months. We met in the cafetorium there. And then we launched our weekly services at the Deluxe Inn. Uh, some of you don't, if, you, if you're new to Steamville, you may not know where the Deluxe Inn was. It's now an empty uh, lot. Thank goodness that thing got bulldozed. It was, it was pretty ghetto, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the, the kids' ministry area uh, actually ha was a, a, a bar and restaurant that had been shut down, and the power was turned off to it uh, because it had been shut down. They didn't want anybody opening anything up in it. So we would run extension cords and put lamps in there so our kids had light in the kids' ministry areas. And some of you were there then. Thank you for hanging with us, right? Thanks for, thanks for hanging with us because it was rough back then. And, and that's actually where we met for a while. And uh, this, was, this is one of our services uh, about uh, three weeks in uh, to our, our church. This was our service there at the Deluxe Inn. And uh, that's a picture there. We moved from there over to our Riverside campus, which we remodeled uh, an older facility. And, and we're there for about a year, a little over a year. And then we moved into this place. We've been here for two years. Those are the places places of Timberridge Church, uh, but the places don't tell the story of what God has done in our church because it's the people that tell the story. People who have walked into this house addicted to drugs and alcohol who've been set free by the power of Jesus. 
People who've walked in, yeah, you can, you can clap for that. You can celebrate that. People who've walked into this place broken and hurting and isolated and alone and have found family in this place. People who, who, who've walked into this place burned and hurt by, by the church who found healing and have found a church family that they can call home. People who've walked into this place far from God, uh, not knowing that God cared about them and loved them and God forever changed their hearts and lives in this place. People who doubted the existence of God or, or, or said there was no God, who Jesus changed their heart and now they're following Him. It's the people that tell the story. In fact, it's the uh, right now between 500 and 600 people who have said yes to a relationship with God through the ministry of Timberridge Church in the last five years. That's crazy. That's crazy. Today we we will uh, we will have in this building over a thousand people in four worship services who have come to worship Jesus, connect with others, and, and and learn how how we can change our world together. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus does that. Only God does it. It's incredible. And here's the thing. It didn't start off that way. It didn't start off that way. It started off with problems. It started off with problems. Joe and I felt like, Johanna and I felt like we had a dream that God had given us to plant a church in, in, in Stephenville, a rural community, and, and that just because you live in a small town doesn't mean that you can't have, have a, a modern life-giving church. So we started casting this vision uh, about church planting in rural towns, and uh, we would meet with people, and they'd be like, oh, that's a great vision. Where are you going to do this? Oh, we're going to move to Stephenville. Oh, that's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. You can't plant, you can't plant like new modern churches in small towns. It'll never work. That's what they said. We would meet with like these church planting gurus and they would say, oh, you're going to plant a church? Awesome. Where are you going? Oh, yeah, well, we're going to Steamville. Oh, that'll never work. It's too small. You'll never have a church that has a big impact in a town that small. And then we would share with them our plan. They're like, oh, you're going to you're going to try to reach college students there too, huh? Well, that'll never work because college students are non-committal and they'll never, they'll never be a part of, of a, a church. It'll, it'll keep you from making a big impact. And then we would say, well, we're going to meet, we're going to reach young families. And they'd say, oh, no, that's never, that's never going to work. And then one of my former mentors, heavy on the former, I told him uh, what we were going to do. And he said, if you move to Stephenville, that's church planting suicide. I want to take pictures this morning, like every service, like just with a selfie here, and send them to him and say, suicide this. Um, but but I, I don't, because here's, here's why. It started with a problem. And what's happened in this place, only Jesus could do. And here's, the, here's, here's why I share that with you this morning. Your problem positions you to accomplish God's purpose in your life. Everybody told us that you couldn't have a church that makes an impact in Stephenville. Everybody told us that you can't have a church that, 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 that reaches people far from God in Stephenville. This week, I'll fly to Chicago, and I'll gather with 12 church planters. There's a dozen of us from all over the country who are planting churches in small communities, and we're gathering to, to meet with some networks uh, to help them understand how we could create a movement of churches in small rural towns of less than 25, 30,000 people all across the country. Your problem can become your platform. Your problem can become your platform. When we launched this thing, the biggest problem we had is that everybody said it couldn't be done. That's a big problem when you're trying to do something, right? Uh, when everyone you know who's an expert in the field says it can't be done, that's a big problem. What, what problem in your life is so big? What, what problem in your life is everyone saying there's no way you can overcome that problem? 
What problem in your life that, that you look at and you say, unless God intervenes, it cannot be done. That's the story of Timberridge Church. It's the story of God of God loving people and changing people's life and intervening on people's behalf. What problem in your life is so big that the only way it could change is that God would intervene in a miraculous way and He would get all the glory? That's the problem that positions you to be used by God in a big way. And we think that our problems push us away from God. We think that our problems are in our life because God must be upset with us. What if your problem has positioned you to accomplish the purpose of God in your life? That it's your platform. That, that only God, man, you look at that thing and go, only God could fix this. But when he does fix it, he's going to get all the glory and he's positioned you. He's positioned you to be used for his purpose. Because only he can get the glory. What if your problem becomes your platform. But it's not just our problem that, that keep us from seeing ourselves as God sees us. It's also our past. It's also our past. You see, so many times we struggle that God could love us, that God could think good things about us, that God would care about us because of all the issues and the junk of our past. Paul, this follower of Jesus, he, he had the same struggle. This thing, uh, Paul, here's, the, here's the thing about Paul's past. Paul was a guy in the Bible. He wrote much of the New Testament. Before he did that, he was a murderer. That was his job. His job was to go and murder people who were following Jesus, to go and murder Christians who, and, and keep the church of Jesus from starting. But then God showed up in his life. Then God showed up and did incredible things in Paul's life and changed his life. And he became a follower of Jesus. Now, Paul has this past as a murderer, and then he becomes a follower of Jesus. And here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 in the Bible. He says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You see, Paul, this follower of Jesus, he said, listen, if I'm, if I'm going to focus on God's future in my life, if I'm going to focus on God's plan in my life, I've got to let go of the past. Because here's what we do when we hold on to the mistakes of our past, when we hold on to the mess of our past, when we hold on to the failures of our past, we actually paralyze what God can do in the present. We hold on to these things and we paralyze what God can do in the present. And so what we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to see past our past. We've got to learn to look past our past into the present where God wants to use us in incredible ways, where God wants to work in our lives. And so many of us have these past mistakes and we have these past failures and we have this past sin and this rebellion and, and these things that we've done where we've chosen to live life on our own way instead of God's way. And we've got all this mess and junk in our past and we think that God could never love me. God could never use me. God could never care about me because all of this stuff that I have in my past. And here's what the Bible says to that. Here's what God says to that. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 it says this, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. I'll never again remember their sins. I'll never again remember their past, the mistakes, the failure, the rebellion, the, all, all, the, all the issues of living life our own way instead of God's way and all the struggle that that brings into our life. God says, I'll never remember that again. Did you catch that? That God wants to forgive you of your past. That God loves you despite your past. 
that, that, that God looks down from the press box and looks at your life and he sees all the mistakes and all the fumbles and all the failures and he says, I, I love them anyway. In fact, here's, here, here's what that verse in Hebrews means. It, it, it's God saying that he loves us so much that he would send his son Jesus into the world. That he would send Jesus in, into the world and his son Jesus would live a, a perfect life. He would be tempted in, the, in, in every way, just like we are, the Bible says, but without sin. He, he, he would face temptation, but he would never sin. At the end of that perfect life, he, he would be put on the cross. He would be brutally tortured and murdered so that the punishment for my sin, for my past, for my mistakes, and the punishment for your sin and your past and your mistakes might be placed on Jesus and that we might receive the reward of a right relationship with God. That Jesus gets our punishment and we receive his reward. And that means when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, God no longer sees our, our past. He remembers our sin no more. And we say, well, God must, God must be disgusted with me. God must be disappointed with me. God must be so, so, so angry toward me because all of these mistakes I've made in the past. And when we place our trust in Jesus, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our mistakes. He doesn't see our failures. He, he doesn't see our, our, the mess of our past. When he looks at us, he sees the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He sees the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that, that our debt has been paid, that the punishment has been taken care of, and he looks at us as his beloved creation, of his prized creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we have to learn to look past our past and into the potential that God has for our lives. I love football. Uh, it's, it's, it's my favorite sport by far. Uh, grew up playing football. Love to watch high school football, college football, NFL, you name it. I love to watch it. And, and one of the things that uh, has happened in the NFL over the, uh, the past few years is this new thing where coaches can challenge the call on the field. They can take this little red flag, and uh, if they don't like the call on the field, they can throw the red flag out on the field, and uh, they can challenge the call that was made. So maybe there's a fumble on the play. And uh, they don't think that really uh, there was a fumble. They don't think that really uh, there was, you know, maybe he was down before he fumbled it. So they just tossed the red flag out on the field. Or maybe, maybe there was a, uh, somebody who thought they made a catch, but really the, the coaches think that he was out of bounds. So they throw, uh, they throw the flag and, and they say, okay, um, you know, they're, they're, I don't think he was really out of bounds or I think he was out of bounds. They challenge the call on the field. Here's why they do that. The coaches on the sideline, they can't tell if somebody's fumbled the ball or not. They can't tell if the guy was out of bounds. You know who can? It's the people up in the press box. So the coaches on the press box, they get on the headset and they say, hey, he wasn't really down. He, wasn't, he didn't really fumble it. He was really down. Challenge the call. It wasn't a fumble. He was down. We get to keep the ball. It's not as bad as we think. Hey, that guy was out of bounds. They didn't get the first down. Our defense stopped him, challenged the call. It's not as bad as we think. And so they throw the red flag, and they challenge the call, and the official comes over, and he puts his headset up, and the people up in the press box, they look over it in slow motion at every angle possible, and they say, yeah, it looked like a fumble on the field, but it actually wasn't a fumble. They get to keep the ball. And so the, the official comes out, and he, 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 he gets in the middle of the field, and he says, upon further review... The ruling on the field has been overturned. It was not a fumble. This team gets to keep the ball. I think a lot of us walked into to, to the room this morning 
And if we're honest, we think, well, man, when I look at my problems and my struggles in life, when I look at my past mistakes, God must be pretty ticked off at me. God must be pretty disappointed in me because I've blown it a lot. God must be pretty disgusted with me because I'm far from perfect. But then God throws this little red flag into humanity. It's called the cross of Jesus. He sends Jesus to come and pay the price for our sins. And he says, upon further review, your past has been forgiven. Upon further review, your problems don't keep you from God. Upon further review, Jesus has made the sacrifice that pays for every mistake that you and I make in life. And the Bible says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. You think that your problems and your past keep you from God? Upon further review, Jesus closed the gap on the cross. And He made a way that we could get back to God. And so I don't know what you walked in here thinking this morning, but you probably probably weren't thinking that God was enamored with you. Most of us don't, don't think that God thinks great things about us. We think that we've messed up too much, we've blown it too much. I would tell you this morning, upon further review, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, that you matter to God. And that when He looks at all of history... And he says, to, to have a relationship with my creation, to have a relationship with my children, it is going to cost me my only son, Jesus. He looks at all of history, and he says, I'll take that deal. Because upon further review, you matter to God far more than you could ever imagine. Let's pray together.